passage in Colossians um, chapter 3. We, we read it uh, last night. Um, and I'll start in verse 18. And then I'll go to Ephesians chapter 6. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to, uh, in the Lord. And as we know, Fernie, just a great example of that. Uh, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And then Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And these two passages of Scripture, you know, um, it's great to kind of uh, go off of these two passages. I thought it was interesting kind of hearing and being reminded of the fact that we don't have guarantees as parents, but the kids have guarantees. They have a promise <laughs> that if they obey the parent, they'll live a long life, you know. And, uh, but in, in having the opportunity to be here and, and, and be able to share about this, it's not, again, because I feel like I'm particularly qualified, like I've got it all figured out. I'm, I'm here, you know, in, in, in the first teaching, just being like, oh, I got to do this better. I got to do that better. In this teaching, I was like, oh, yeah, I got to do this. And oh, thanks for the reminder for that. And stuff that I have to grow in, my, my hope is just to kind of get... Uh, the scriptures and the things that I've learned from other wiser people than myself and kind of present them uh, as best as I can. Um, after uh, the importance that we've learned of, of prioritizing the scripture, there are a few good books that might be helpful. Um, uh, uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp uh, comes strongly recommended. And The Shaping of a Christian Family by Elizabeth Elliot uh, is also uh, strongly recommended. And um, as I was kind of praying about sharing, one of the things that, one of the first things that kind of came to mind is that there's two passages of Scripture um, that kind of have these sobering uh, warnings uh, and, and kind of uh, lists of sins. And one of them is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, and the other one is in Romans chapter 1, verse 30. And they're both, uh, Romans 1, 30 is talking about sins that, uh, like if people continue or persist in these things, that they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So that's an important qualifier, you know, going to heaven. That's, that's what we're all, we're all about that. And then in 2 Timothy uh, 3, verse 2, it's listing what the world's going to be like at the end of time, you know, just before Jesus comes back. What's going to characterize people in general? And you read through those lists, and it's like murder and lying and theft and wrath and malice and disobedient to parents and you're like what what's that that one feels like it's there by accident like they made some kind of mistake <laughs> because in our head we kind of think of these kind of categories of sin and, and we think of like well murder is up here and then disobedient to parents is over here and and being a coward is over here and but over here is like theft and but, but to the Lord these things are important and if in 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verse 2 God takes the time to say let me tell you how bad it's going to be in the last days. Think about all the, I mean, we're living in the last days. Think of how fearful 
we are of the things that we see in the world around us. Who of us would have predicted that we'd be in a pandemic? The, the political upheavals that are taking place in the country. All these crazy things that you see on the news 24-7 kind of being blasted out there as, you know, end of days. Even the world is kind of thinking it's the end of time. And, and, and yet, when God takes the time to pen down the things you should be concerned about in the end of days, he's not writing about pandemics. He's not writing about, you know, political uh, extremism, you know? You know what he's writing about? He's saying, man, people are going to be disobedient to parents. And that's important in the eyes of the Lord. In, in, in heaven's kind of scheme of things or priority of things, God looks at the state of the home and he says, that is something that is going to have ramifications that no country can, can kind of uh, compensate for. And so it's an important thing for the Lord. That, that's all that I'm trying to say with that point is that the state of your home and the way that you manage it and how you raise and lead your kids is something that's really important for the Lord. And so as we look at that and we think, well, where are we going to get our, our example from? Where are we going to get our standard from? Sometimes, um, and, I, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, so like all the, all the negative things, I've done probably most of them. Um, uh, but, but, you know, we could think, well, it worked for me, you know. As far as how I was raised, this worked out well. I, I was raised by a single mom. Um, uh, she loved the Lord. She got saved when I was uh, about, when she was 25, when I was five, I got saved. I've kind of been raised in, in, in the church, and, and there's, there's been great things that she's done, and, and uh, there's also challenges, you know, that we had. I'm super grateful for my mom, and she's watching, so she did great. No, she, she, she did great even if she wasn't watching. Um, but, you know, who do we make our example? Who do we make our standard? Is it us? Um, certainly, we want to learn from the things that produce good things in us. But certainly we want to produce better from our kids than, than ourselves. I want my, my son and, you know, future baby coming along to do better than I've ever done. And so I want to take the good and I want to take whatever else that was not ideal, I want to take that from, where am I going to take it from? Am I going to take it from the world? Am I going to take it from psychologists? Am I going to take it from social media, from Instagram, from the internet, you know? Um, do I do it like WebMD on my kids? Like, what do I, how do I raise, what happens when your kid says, and then go off what the internet says? Or am I going to turn to the scripture and look at what the Bible has to say? Um, because every one of us lives in, in a world where our decisions will set our lives on a certain path. You know, what choices you make will determine what path you're on. And it would be wise for us to look at people who have made choices and decisions that have set them on a path. And then what's important about a path is where's the destination? Do you know where you're going? Do you know where this choice or action will lead your family and child and, you know, everything and yourself too? So, you know, what choices, what decisions are we making? And then when we're looking for those standards, what are we going to turn to? I, 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 I'd like to encourage us to be able to look beyond maybe what, how we were raised. I'm not knocking how you were raised. You might have been raised great. I, was, I, thought, I think I was raised great. But I, I want to encourage you to say, I, I want to do better in my home. And, and, and so to think, I want, I want to look to something higher than the standard that was set for me. I want to do something better than that. And where else can I turn but the scriptures? 
and say, I want to look at what the Bible has to say about these things. So set the standard higher. I'd encourage you to make the Bible and, and what the Bible has to say, the final standard on how, how you live at home, what the environment in the house should be. The verse that was on, on our heart for this uh, seminar was train up a child in the way he should go, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so that word to train, to dedicate, to inaugurate, it means to train. Uh, tra- to train means to exercise, to discipline, to educate, to teach and form by practice. So parenting is not like, um, you know, you go and you learn a lesson and you get a grade and you never have to go back to that classroom again. It's a, it's a process of training. It takes time. It takes a lot of repetition. Um, it, you know, it takes a lot of reminders. You have to kind of go through that process with your family and expect that it's going to take time. Expect that they might not get it the first time. You might have to repeat yourself over and over and over again. You might, it will require patience of, of us. It's, it's, so far, it's required patience of me. And um, then to dedicate, and the reason why I say that word to dedicate is because the word there in Proverbs, to train, it means it's translated in almost every other place as to dedicate. That means to set apart to consecrate to a divine being or sacred purpose, to devote to a sacred use by a solemn act, to give wholly or chiefly in a solemn way. And so that kind of, uh, I I loved how, as I was thinking how that kind of goes right into uh, uh, how Pastor Jerry was ending, which is that our child belongs to the Lord. He, in my case, I have a son and I have a baby on the way. I don't know if it's a he or a she yet. We'll find out in a couple weeks. Um, But, My kids have been entrusted to us for a season. They've been lent to us. So what that means is I don't have the uh, prerogative to do whatever I want with my kid. I don't have the prerogative to mold and shape them into whatever I want them to be or whatever is convenient to me or whatever fulfills some kind of lack in my own, you know, life uh, just for the purely selfish motive of, I want this. I want that. I want my kid to be this. Therefore, I'm going to force them into it. It's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to take this child that God has lent to me and figure out who this child is and who God made them to be and then to figure out how I can get them on the path that they need to be towards the destination of a godly adult, you know? And so you got to get to know who the kid is in order for that to happen because you might have to plot a different path depending on their personality and character. I, I, the, the, the closest thing I had to that comparison was growing up, I'm very, very different than, than my brother. I'm almost the exact opposite of my brother. And, and yet he loves the Lord, I love the Lord. But I saw how one method would not work for every kid the same way. You have, you have to take and learn what works here, what will accomplish your goal or your purpose of getting this, this kid on the path towards, you know, being a, a, a godly adult. And so, because the purpose of, the, of you having this kid, this child, I hope it's not disrespectful to say kid, I call my kid kid, but um, I actually usually call him buddy, but I have to take this guy and I have to commit their life to the fulfillment of whatever God's plan is for their life. And that requires a lot of prayer. Um, 
I, I have so much to cover. Um, and that's something that the Lord had been impressing on my heart with this new baby along the way. I was, you know, we had gone through a miscarriage and I was kind of trying to process not being able to go to the doctors and COVID and the holiday seasons, everything was closed. You know, all the doctor's offices were closed. So we had to wait a really long time. And I personally was kind of like struggling with a lot of fear and anxiety. And I'm wrestling with that with the Lord and saying, Lord, this is crazy. And what if, you know, what if something happens to the baby? And, you know, I, I don't want to go through that. And, and then I'm, I'm arguing with God. If you look at, I think it's like Job chapter 2. It's almost the same argument that I was having with the Lord. And, uh, and in that process, I felt like the Lord said to me very clearly, the, the purpose or the reason for that is I have a calling on that child's life. And that settled the matter for me. I don't know what God has for, 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 for my son and my future baby or for your kids, but God has a calling and a purpose to fulfill in that little child's life. And so it's important for us as parents to say, Lord, what do you want to do with this little life? Help me to be a part of, to help uh, accomplish whatever your purposes are for that life. Or using other words, to set that child on the path that will lead them to the destination of God's calling. I, I have to, along the way of that, submit my desires and my wants and my expectations to, as a parent, to the Lord. In when I, one of the, when we would go street witnessing in, in, in Puerto Rico, when I lived there, I always thought it was funny that if I ever asked people if they knew the Ten Commandments, the one commandment that everyone knew was honor your father and mother. And it's, man, parents always drill that one in, like, hey, the Bible says you gotta do what I say. And, um, that word, uh, that's Exodus 20, verse 12, it, and it says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Exodus 20, verse 12. And uh, the word honor there is to be heavy, to be weighty, to glorify, to make very great. That commitment to honor them is a responsibility that you ought to carry for the length of your life. So that's, that's different than the obey, right? You know, we heard that from Pastor Zach. They have to obey while they're in your household. Um, and, but, but, but you should still honor them. And that's a challenging thing because in a group this size, there might be some, you know, your experience with your father, your mother might not have been great. Um, there could be uh, pain that's involved there. There could be abuse that's involved there. And so when we read some of these things, it could kind of trigger challenging emotions and feelings in our hearts uh, and think, well, that's, uh, what about this or that? And what we're doing when that happens is we're looking at these instructions that are given to people who are trying to live a godly life, and we're applying it to our fallible parents that, that made, may have made some terrible mistakes that maybe weren't the standard. But we want to be the standard. We, we need to go back to the standard, even if we don't feel capable or worthy of it, um, we still have to go back to what the biblical standard is because there isn't a better standard than that. There's no other place to turn to. So if, if as you hear it, you know, you're challenged by uh, those, those memories or those feelings of thinking, man, but, you know, my, my parent did this and my parent did that. and my How can I ever ask of my child to obey in our home if I know that I went through abuse? How can I ever... Um, discipline in a, in a way that the Bible clearly says to do if I know that I went through this or that or the other. 
my response to that is I, my, my hope, my prayer is that as we're here, we're here because we know we need help. And my desire, and, and it's what's happened so far, and I hope I don't mess it up, is to just present to you what the scriptures say. That at the end of the day, this is what the Bible says to do. And if you choose to get all that and walk out and say, I'm going to do something different, you can. But that's not the way that the Bible calls us to live and to be parents. So, you know, here you have like an, an instruction manual that's given to us. And we can walk and we can say, oh, that's nice. And we could do like most of the other instruction manuals in my house. And you just kind of toss it and you go back to it whenever you have a problem. Or... You could say, you know what, I don't understand what it means to raise a kid, and I've kind of maybe been messed up in the past, but I'm going to pick up this book, and I'm going to live by it because he saved me. He died on the cross for my sins. And so I'm going to live by this book to the best of my capacity and ability and trust that whatever the outcome is, it's going to be good. Because if he loved me so much that he wouldn't spare his own son, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Why would he then mislead me on how to raise this life? Especially considering the fact that this life belongs to the Lord. You know, it's like him saying, this is my kid. Here's how I want you to take care of him. So, you know, that's, that's what, I, what I see uh, when, when I see that passage. There's a promise um, for the children that walk in obedience and it's that if you do, your days will be extended on the earth. Another way to put that is that disobedience, disrespect, and rebellion shortens lives. And maybe that's, like a lang- uh, that's the language we need to hear as parents. Do I want my kid to have a longer life or a shorter life in this world? And so as, as I was praying about what to share, another thing that kind of came to mind, and we're going to jump, jump into these scriptures quickly, is... I don't like this word, but I'm going to use it because I think it's the word that best describes what I want to say. That the way that the Lord does things, I find is so often, um, I think the, the word I don't want to use, but I will, is holistic. Not kind of a heebie-jeebie weird, you know, um, natural Whole Foods store. But holistic in the sense of, Holistic in the, in the sense of characterized by a comprehension of the parts of something as intimately interconnected and explicable only by reference to the whole. So what I mean by that is, and, and, and Zach kind of touched upon this, but I wanted to tag a word onto it, is that, and, and Jerry also touched on this as well, if you want to have healthy, well-raised kids, which we all do, then you need to be a, a healthy well-raised and balanced Christian. You have to have a strong relationship with the Lord. That's step one. The next thing I would say is you should invest in your marriage. If God has ordained families to be in such a way, if you look at the order in which these instructions are given, he says, um, you know, live as a Christian. Then he says, wives should live like this. This is what wives and moms should look like and husbands should live like this and kids should live like this and then parents should live like this. That's the order in which he places it. And so it would be, uh, I, I thought of like, we, it's an example you use when you're talking about creation, how the, the, you know, the eye works in such a way that it only works when all the parts within it are properly working, you know? If you take out a part of the eye, the human eye, 
the whole thing shuts down. <laughs> and so it's important that we think along those lines. I can't afford to be... Um, to not be walking in obedience to what God says that I should be as a Christian or as a husband and then expect that I, as a father, it'll work out great. Or as a wife and think that, you know, my kid is going to be fine. No, I have, to, I have to fulfill my role. God has kind of put this whole picture together. And, and so I'd encourage you to invest in your marriage. I, it's been said before, uh, kids, you know, are, are, are children, they're not primarily our friends and so sometimes that gets kind of drilled home I wanted to I think this is how I think this is how I view the why of that if I may um God has kind of ordained how all the roles are supposed to be and so when you kind of get a kid, there's a certain measure to um, this, this child, this like beloved little baby human life. There's a measure to which as they grow up, you're going to recognize they have a personality, they have a character. But there's also a measure to which you've got a blank slate. And if we as kind of corruptible, messed up people have a deficit in our life, relationally speaking, like I don't, I don't have somebody that's that I sense is close to me. That, that I have uh, intimate friendship with. As I get that kid, in, in the absence of that, there's going to be a natural temptation in me to try to make that kid into that, to fill that need in me. And that doesn't work. What ends up happening is you end up spoiling the child. So they become like a bad friend. <laughs> like a very codependent, un unhealthy bad friend. And then you, you're not preparing them to be adults. And if, if you're married, and I, and I recognize there might be, you know, people in this uh, place that aren't married. But if you're married, you're also going to ruin your marriage relationship with your spouse because they're the ones that are supposed to be your friend. And so then they'll be sitting by the sidelines and, 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 uh, and there's going to be a distance that's going to be there. So I just want to encourage you to invest in your marriage. And if you need a friend, get a friend. You know? Like you got to focus on getting a friend. Don't make your kid your friend for the sake of your kid. And for the sake of your marriage. And for the sake of your, your future. And if you're in a position where you're, you're a single parent, as someone who was raised by a single parent you got to recognize where those, there's those wants and those, those needs are and say, maybe I do need to have more godly Christian friends in my life. If you got to do that, it's better for you to do that than to try to make your kid your best friend, your child, your loved baby human. Um, and, and, you know, and, and, and pray for a spouse and pray about becoming a, a, a good godly spouse to whomever the Lord would bring your way. God has hope and he wants to do that in your life. I genuinely believe that. But if we're talking about parenting, it's so important. In my experience kind of being raised by my mom, um, Having a, and so I say this with, with as much, I'm trying to go fast and be careful, which is very hard. Um, so I didn't have a dad around. So there were some things in which my mom had to treat me like a father would, right? And if you're a single parent, you might have to do that. You know, if, if you're a single dad, you might have to do some of the roles that a mom would do. 
If you're a single mom, you might have to remember to be a single dad sometimes and be like, you know, I think you need to let them pack without taking their jacket because they're going to be cold and learn their lesson that way. And that might be hard for you. But not to, that's a totally a great mom thing to do is to pack your jacket. But um, I might have to fulfill dual roles, but I can't shape them to fulfill a lack in my life. Because the parenting relationship is, is, is a very selfless relationship. You're there to give to them and to grow them and to build them up. They are not there to give to you. Now, if you do that right, and that can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit, because it's not possible. It's one of the hardest things in the world to do. But if you do that right, there may come a point in your life and in your relationship with that other little person that they are able to have a relationship with you that is incredibly rewarding, that, that you couldn't have had by any other form or means because you've been investing and giving and giving and giving and giving and giving, and now you have some measure of release for that to be a, a live human that has gone through so much with you that now you might have a friendship. You might have a better friend that you have anywhere else. But you can't jump the gun. You can't make them, you can't like raise them or shape them as a friend. You have to shape them. You got to be their parent and you got to let them be your kid. And you got to prioritize that. And again, if you need friendship, man, find friendship. Friendship's a real need. Uh, that kind of relational intimacy is a real need. And if you're married, that ought to be your spouse. You know, Wives, don't neglect or forget your husbands. They love you. They're there. They've chose you. You chose them. You've gone through thick and thin. Husbands, don't neglect or forget your wives. You know that they're better than you are. <laughs> and, they, and they give so much more than you're giving. So, you know, invest in them and invest in your marriage. It's one of the best things that you could do for your kids. There are specific instructions that are given to children, and we, we talked about that. We're going to keep talking about that. Their role, the role of children in the home, the primary role is to learn to obey and respect God-given authority in the formative years of their life. That's what they need to be doing, learning to respect and obey God-given authority in the formative years of their life. And what happens is, in your life, you will have to learn that. It's absolutely essential. The Lord will make sure that you learn that lesson. And if you as a parent, if I as a parent, using myself as an example, if I neglect to teach them to obey and respect God-given authority, then I am condemning them to learn it from the world. And, and I didn't give them the opportunity to learn it in a formative season of their life. So now they're going to learn it in the first 5 to 15 years of their adulthood. And they're going to learn it from the state trooper. They're going to learn it from their drill instructor. They're going to learn it from, but from their boss. But they're going to learn to respect God-given authority one way or another. And I heard this and it kind of like, it broke my heart. But it's so true that I got to tell you and break your heart too. If you don't teach your children, if I fail to teach my child to learn and to respect God-given authority, I am condemning them to spend the first 5 to 15 years of their adulthood watching all of their peers excel them in every way. They'll see all the kids around them that did learn to respect God-given authority to excel them, and they won't know why. 
And, I, and I, 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 that terrifies me. I don't want, I don't want my, my son to go through that. Because when you learn this lesson in your home, it teaches you self-discipline. It teaches you self-control. It teaches you self-respect. It teaches you a quality of faithfulness, a work ethic that's going to be reflected in every area of your life and your relationships at your, at your job. You know, All those things are going to be learned through this uh, apprehension of God-given authority to learn to, to respect and obey that. And so as we look here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So when it talks about obeying our parents in the Lord, and we're going to see it also in the, in the, in the uh, passage that talks about uh, instruction to um, parents, it says to obey the parents in the Lord. So, so we as parents have a tremendous amount of authority that's been given to us in our home. Um, and, 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 and this is being, well, I'll mention that later. A tremendous amount of authority that's being given to us in our home, but it's not without restraint or limitations. So the restraint, the, restraint, the limitations that we have is that we do it in the Lord. So I can't use the authority that I have to teach that kid to do something that goes contrary to the scriptures. It has to be within the context of in the Lord, for this is right. Am I using the authority to teach my son, my daughter, what's right? To, to follow along the lines of scripture. And it says to obey, that, kid, that, that children should obey their parents in the Lord. Verse 2 and 3, it says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise. That it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And so there's that commandment with that promise that you would have uh, a long life. When it speaks of obeying, it's in the active imperative in the Greek, which means absolute obedience. And if you look at the passage in Colossians, it speaks of, which we can go there real quick and maybe we'll come back. But in Colossians chapter 3 verse, um, verse 20, it says, Children, obey your parents in all things. So that means that they should obey in all things. And that's a, a crazy high standard. The only exception to that is if the parent is trying to teach the kid to do something that's not scriptural or biblical. But that they should, and, and it's, it's worth noting that both in Ephesians and in Colossians, you know, I don't know, I find that so often uh, uh, children want to be addressed directly, you know? And, and isn't it awesome that God speaks to them directly? This is a, a word from God to the child. He's not talking to us as parents yet. He's talking to the kids. He's saying, you need to obey them in all things. So that's even when it's not easy for them, even when they don't like it, even when it doesn't make sense, when they don't agree with it. And, and, and in that kind of environment, as a, as a kid, you hear that. As a child, I'd hear that and be like, is that even, that's not possible. You can't obey in all things. But Paul seems to think you can, and the Lord seems to think you can. And I'm, I know this is instruction to children, but I'm saying it to us as parents because it's important for us to see what the Lord expects of them. So from this kind of biblical perspective, you know, 
that we should obey in all things. Slow obedience is disobedience. Impartial obedience is disobedience. And I might think that's not possible, but if I think that's not possible and I see that the Bible says that that's what it should be like, then maybe I've gotten my standard for what the home should look like from someplace other than the scriptures. Maybe I've gotten it from tradition or from what I've been told or from what my parents did or from what you know, I saw on the internet, but maybe I've gotten from the world a standard that isn't, isn't a biblical standard. Because that's what's expected of them uh, by the Lord. And I think of, and I, I heard this example and I thought it was great, but you look at the, the, the home of all of our examples should be Jesus, right? Jesus is awesome. We don't have a lot of stuff written about Jesus when he was a kid. But we do have some stuff written in Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, you know what you see? You see Jesus in the church. The parents, you know, have gone and then they come back. Hey, where are you doing? Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? So here, Jesus is submitted to his earthly parents. Isn't that crazy? He goes with them. He obeys them. And so if he, the perfect child, I would think that would be the one exception to the rule where he wouldn't have to offer complete obedience because his parents are more messed up than he is. (laughs) And yet the Lord says, I want my son to be submitted to his imperfect parents so that we're not excused. They're not excused from obeying us because we're imperfect. And we're not excused from our responsibility because we're imperfect. And the, the negative example that I see to that, I see in David who, after he failed, no longer corrected his sons when they were committing sins that he knew that God had showed him mercy for. And he said, well, how can I correct them? Look at the mercy that God's shown me. I can't do that to them. And yet, look at how his kids turned out. I mean, we, we get to know David and we're like, man, I love David, but man, he was a bad father. And, and, and it's a lesson that I had to learn personally is, is even if I fail, even if I fall short, repentance for me still means getting up and being a spiritual leader again. As a failed failure of a person, saying, I'm sorry, I failed, I've made these mistakes, this was a bad example, and now we're going to go to the right example and we're going to do this. And if you sin, there's still going to be these consequences because it's what the Bible says to do. Just like me being up here and teaching you, it's not based on my experience. Parenting my four-year-old is not, it's the first four-year-old I ever had, you know? It's the first kid I ever had. But what I'm falling back on is the truth of God's word and the authority of the Lord and the example that he set before me. So when I go to talk to them, that's the authority that I come in, not because I deserve to be in charge. I don't deserve to be in charge. For some crazy reason, probably because I desperately need the accountability, the Lord has put me in charge. And I have to answer to the Lord for what I do. So, the imperfections of parents are not an excuse for rebellion. Um, And then the beautiful thing here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, Children, obey your parents in all things. And he says, so what's the reason why? Why? He he tells kids, do you want to know why you should obey your parents in all things? Because it's well-pleasing to the Lord. And so the assumption that that Paul and God is making is that pleasing God is important to your kids. He says, why? Because it's going to bless God. It's going to please your heavenly father. Oh, thanks. That's awesome. That's what I needed. I want to know what pleases my heavenly father. 
the responsibility that we have as parents is not getting any easier. The culture that we live in is making it more and more complicated. 10, 15, 20 years ago, you might not have to explain what a boy and a girl is, but now you do. Isn't that crazy? And I don't think it's going to get any easier from here. I just, I can't predict what crazy thing is going to lose its definition. But as it stands, the responsibility that we have as parents are getting, it's getting more complicated. There's all kinds of questions that we need to go back to scriptures to look at. And let's go back to Ephesians, and we're going to kind of be hopping back and forth between these. Ephesians chapter 6, and looking at that verse towards parents, it says, and, father, and you fathers, and you'll see in uh, Colossians 3.20, it also speaks to fathers. Now, that is also an instruction that you can take as mothers. You don't have to be like, oh, I'm off the hook. Woo. Um, that's generally speaking to parents, but it's important that it's addressed to fathers because ultimately fathers have to give an account for what happens in the home. So if, if, you know, everything is in disarray, when you stand before the Lord, I'm speaking to the dads now, when you stand before the Lord, the Lord's not going to say, um, you know, hey, you know, wife, why, why didn't you do, why, why are you doing this, that, and the other? He's going to say to you, hey, you're the leader of this home, Father. I told you how it should be. Why didn't you do it? Why didn't you do everything within your power and continue to do everything within your power to be faithful to the Lord, to lead your home in a way that would honor and glorify the Lord? So the burden really falls back on the dads. There's a responsibility for, the, for, for, for moms and for wives as well, but they'll have to give an account. And if you're a single parent, then yes, that burden falls on you. You know, I, I would be like, I gotta, I gotta get a husband so that it's his fault. But um, <laughs> don't do that. But you know, the, 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 the Lord says specifically that this burden is gonna lie on them. And to the culture that was being addressed, um, the Roman father had so much uh, power in the home that he could basically do whatever he wanted to his kids. If he saw a, a child that was born to him and he didn't want the baby, he could walk away and the baby would be thrown out. If a Roman father wanted to beat a child with a whip, he could do so. There are several occasions in which a Roman father beat their child to death and the Roman government did nothing about it. It's his kid. He could do whatever he wants with him. You could take your child and make them a slave. You know, so th this is the kind of authority that they had that Paul's speaking to when he puts limitations and restraints on that authority and says, you need to subject and submit that to the Lord. But in the culture in which we live now, in large measure, fathers are, I would say, what's missing? Good, strong fathers that lead their homes well. And so... I'm super blessed that it says fathers because that's what we need. It's our job. We're going to have to answer for it. It's not the church's job. It's not, it's not Sunday school's job. It's not, you know, LHM's job, you know. I'm looking at LHM leaders here. Um, it's not their job to raise their family in the Lord. It's your job as a leader of your home. We have on occasion sometimes uh, people that uh, will, uh, I don't think it's anybody here. And if it is, I love you. Jesus loves you. But sometimes you have people that call the church and are like, man, my kid is not listening to me uh, and they're doing this and they're doing that and the other. Here, you talk to them. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, and sometimes it, it's not always the case, but sometimes it feels like kind of like, here, you be a parent. And, 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 and uh, you know, what I, I far rather do is sit and talk to that parent and say, 
you know, how are you doing it? What are you doing? Can we talk about parenthood and what that means and what that should look like? And here's some ideas and here's some things that you could do. But I have, I have no authority in your home, you know? The Lord, the Holy Spirit, God has authority and you have authority in your home. So it, it, it ultimately, we're the ones who are going to be held accountable. And then the counsel that's given here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So that word there, train, or in, in some translations it might say um, uh, nurture and, uh, and admonition, are also two restraints that are placed there in the training and admonition of the Lord. So you raise up that child in a way that honors and glorifies God and is true to the scriptures. That's a limitation on your authority in your home. And what you are to use that authority for is to train and to admonish them. So you're never to use your parental authority to, uh, for abuse, for physical abuse. It's not acceptable. It's not okay. It does not reflect the heart of Christ. You're also not to abuse your authority in a sense that you're using it selfishly. You're not telling them what to do because you're trying to teach them how to be a responsible adult, but you're telling them what to do because you want to get a refill on your beverage. You know, <laughs> and so, you know, and there's a measure of, you know, primarily are you trying to get them to serve you and to kind of uphold your kingdom? Or are you trying to literally trying to teach them something? And I, got, and I use that as an example because I think probably one of the best lessons I ever learned was probably on the, I felt like the hundredth refill that I had to get of iced tea that I was so upset about. And I, I love you, Mom. Uh, but I was, I don't know where the camera is, but I was so upset about and I was so ready to fight about it. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I was walking through uh, the hallway in my house and I said, I can't have this attitude anymore. I can't have this attitude. I'm making me miserable. It's not about the iced tea. It's me that's making me miserable with this attitude. I'm going to get up and do it as often as they want. And my life got better. And so, <laughs> and so without a grumpy, bad attitude. So I'm, you know, I'm not knocking on getting refills. That's all great. But it's just the example that came to mind is that we wouldn't use it for selfish gain, but that we would... We would uh, in, in all of the, the use of, um, of our authority in our home, it would be for their edification, for their admonition, for their training. So that word train, it means the whole training and education of children, which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals and employs for this purpose sometimes commands and at other times admonitions, sometimes reproof and punishment. It also includes the training and care of the body. I'm going to read it again. The whole training and education of children, which relates to the cultivation of the mind and morals and employs for this purpose, sometimes commands and at other times admonitions, sometimes now reproof and punishment. It also includes the training and care of the body, whatever in adults that also cultivates the soul, especially by correcting mistakes and curbing passions. Instruction which aims at increasing virtue. So when it says train, it's not passive. It's not, uh, that is something that you as a parent are very proactively doing. It's intentional that it speaks of training first. You need to think of it along the lines of, you know, of, of a garden. You know, you're, you're out there and you're gardening. You're picking weeds. You see something growing that shouldn't be there. Man, that's going to kill the good fruit. You know, you're, you're, you're plowing hard soil. 
You're, you're gooding, sending, putting down good seeds. You're not putting down bad seeds. You're planting this next to that. You're getting to know that soil. You're, you're tending to and nurturing, and with a hobby like that, which I don't have that hobby, but if you have that hobby, you know that it takes time. That takes a lot of time and investment. You need to spend time with them. You need to listen to them. You get to know, need to get to know who they are. You need to, you know, and it's funny because I, I, I think that it's, it's true what Jerry was saying. You know, we, we're t- we live in a messed up world and we come home, we're tired. Maybe, you know, you're, you're just tired. You come home and I don't want to give more. But that's the responsibility that we have as parents is to give, give to them, is to give whatever we can and have to them. And as you develop kind of a healthy relationship with them, you might not realize it, but you're showing them what a healthy relationship looks like. They're going to see through the relationship that you have with them, what it means to be loved, what it means to be cared for, you know. If you're, if you're hot-headed and short-tempered and, and, and strict and demanding, and that's what they think is right. If you're, if you're lax and, yeah, do whatever you want, who cares? You know, that's what they're going to think is right. And, and generally speaking, what I've, what I've found in my own life is whatever vice I have in, in, in moderation, my kids will have in whatever the opposite of moderation is. You know, so if I am a little short-tempered, he'll be a lot short-tempered. If I'm a, a little prone to deception, he'll be a lot prone to deception. If I'm a little rebellious, he'll be a lot rebellious. And so I have to, what I find is it helps me because my priority as a Christian and as a believer is I want to grow in Christ. And I don't, I suspect it's part of what God intends. I, I hesitate to say it's the only thing that God intends. But I find that maybe sometimes as a believer, I can plateau in my growth and development in my relationship with Jesus like, all right, I think I'm doing pretty good. I think I'm okay. I don't need to, I've repented of this and that and the other. I've sacrificed quite a bit. I don't think I need to sacrifice this, that, or the other. If I come to a place where I stop growing and stop surrendering, in, in my life, I find that if I don't deal with it in me, I'm going to have to deal with it in my spouse and in my son. And then I'll be like, why, what's, why is this happening? Why is that happening? And I start getting frustrated. And then I find, oh, I stopped being patient. Now I have to be patient. Or everyone's lives will be ruined. You know, I, <laughs> I, st- you know, I stopped sacrificing carnal and worldly things to the Lord. Now I have to, or else there's going to be this indulgence into worldly and carnal things that I won't be able to restrain or contain. And then I find that it forces me to have to grow. It forces me to have to surrender to Christ. And, 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 and if I can, again, be proactive in that, in my own heart and life, be like, man, I would far rather humble myself. I would far rather, um, you know, not speak in the flesh. I would far rather do it in me before I now have to do it twice, in me and also in my kids. Because kids are like mirrors, um, they, 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 you know, I'm speaking into a microphone, it's taking my voice and it's amplifying it. And that's what kids do. They're like microphones also, you know, so, so are spouses. But they take, they, they're, they're taking whatever, whatever input is coming out of you and it's just being amplified. 
And so it's important that if you hear something through the speakers, through your kids, as you study them, if you see certain things in them, that, that you realize, oh, where is this in me? I got to grow in this. I'm modeling this out. I need to model this out better. Study them to find out who they are, to find out what uh, resonates with them. Um, don't leave them relationally with a, a deficit that the world can step in to fill. It involves listening to them, getting to know them. It involves showing them love. You know, I think sometimes it's easy for us to focus on the negative and the correction, and we're just corrective, and we're just pointing out things that go bad, and we don't take the time to sit with them and to learn who they are and to find and pray about ways to show them love, positive ways to spend positive time with them, you know, and, and try as much as possible to balance out the positive with the negative. You look at Jesus correcting the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, and even the harshest correction, he finds, if he can, something good to say. You know, I know your works, but there's a few things I got to talk about. You know, even in, the, even in the harshest corrections, there's two churches he gives no positives to and two churches he gives no negatives to. But even in some of the harshest churches, he says, you know, you're doing this right, you're doing that right, but man, I need you to do this, that, and the other. And so as parents, maybe we can learn from that. Maybe we're not corrective enough. Maybe we're just like, ah, oh, it's okay, who cares, and we're not doing our job of discipline. But maybe we're just on it for the discipline, but we're not reinforcing the positive. And, and that can have a tendency to frustrate our kids. They, our children, will not automatically know what they should do because we know what, what they should do. You need to explain it to them. And that's something that sometimes you'll see your kid do something and be like, why did you do that? That's crazy, you know? But they don't know that unless you tell them. And it's our job to tell them. And that's part of training is sitting down and saying, this is what's right and this is what's wrong and this is why. Ahead of time. And investing in them with love. And correcting things when it goes off. But we need to communicate those things to them. It's not right for us to become angry at their failings when they fail expectations that we haven't clearly communicated. So we need to talk to them. We need to explain it to them. They need to be trained and prepared. My hobby is woodworking. I'm not good at it, especially when I see other people's work. Um, but even carpenters, you're going to be a carpenter. You train under somebody. You've got an apprenticeship. You know, you, you, you sat under this person, even if you're, like, training under YouTube videos. But if, it's, if, if, if a job like that that requires skill requires you sitting under somebody and being taught how much more like life and adulthood that involves so much more this is more of like a little kind of thing that i find i've found to be helpful and it's i, I think it's especially if you have little kids the first time you teach something's really important maybe take extra care the first time you show them to make sure you're you're very clear you're very specific you're 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 showing them step by step because that's going to really serve as a pattern. And if you, so I'm just throwing out there that I, I found it to be helpful that when you've got a little, 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 little one, um, the first time you show them is going to kind of set the template and, and, and you should be careful about how you do that. Um, take the time to, throughout the day, correlate what it is that they're experiencing as they become older and they start being able to understand what you're saying. Take the time throughout the day to correlate what they're experiencing in the world with the scriptures. Um, and the example that I can think of that, I was driving one of these days when everybody was in quarantine. 
and uh, and Ben was in the back seat, and he's like, uh, "Oh, let's go over here." I can't. Let's go over there. I can't. Why? Well, everything's shut down. Why is everything shut down? Because there's a disease. And he goes, "Can't you take me to some place where there isn't a disease?" <laughs> and I thought, man. I mean, the first thing that came to mind was I could have just been like, "No, sorry, man. Everything's shut down." But what I said was, only by the grace of the Lord, but what I said was, you know, man, there's disease everywhere. Do you remember why? Because of what Adam did in Genesis. And now disease is everywhere, and there's nothing I can do to stop disease. The only place where there isn't any disease is heaven. And I want to go to heaven. Jesus is going to come back for us soon. That's why we accept him as our Savior. Oh, I want to go to heaven, Dada. I want to go to heaven too. You know, so those little, those little opportunities, do we bring it back to the truth of God's word? God gives us those opportunities to bring it back to the truth. And if you see it, latch on to it. And, and it will be rewarding in the outcome. Like probably like, a, like a, a couple of weeks later, I was freaking out at my home because of the pandemic thing. And I tend to be a germaphobe. And I'm doing much better now. We're all doing great. <laughs> but um, this, is, this, is, this has cured me. But um, uh, I, was, I was in my home and I was nervous and, you know, and, uh, and I guess he could see it on my face. And he's like, he calls me from the breakfast table. And he, you know, I'm only telling you the great stories. There's also very challenging stories, which I don't need to tell. But he calls me from the, from the breakfast table. And he says, um, how, uh, he says uh, hey, Dada. And I said, yeah. And he goes, if the world gets worse, we're going to be okay. Why? He goes, because Jesus will save us. <sighs> Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, and so you invest truth, it's going to get mirrored back at you. You invest truth, it's going to get mirrored back at you. If you and I, you might be investing for months and months and months and years and think it's not producing anything because you don't see it mirrored back to you. Keep investing truth. You do not know how much is sticking. I, I've had similar experiences where I've poured in for years and seen nothing. <laughs> and then... Uh, and then seen, and then seen 10, 15, 20 years later, I've seen fruit. And they might not know where that tree came from, but I remember the seed, you know? And so just keep investing, even if you don't see any immediate fruit. It's part of the responsibility of a farmer to be patient. Read the word with your kids daily. It's a, try to set the habit if, you, you know, if, you're, if you're able at some point, even if it's a verse, even if it's a, 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 just a small portion. I'm so grateful for the times that I, I, I started when he, was, when he couldn't talk. In the morning before I left, I figured this is a great opportunity. We're just going to read the Bible. Um, and I found wherever I could, just like reading a chapter. All right, we're going to go. As he got older, um, I, I was trying to do it, and I would lose his attention, and then I realized that he doesn't understand the language, so then I would have to read it and try to explain it, and so then I would tell him the story. Then this happened, then that happened, and I was doing a new Old Testament overview, and then uh, and that, that got his attention for a while, and now I'm kind of going back to just kind of reading through the Psalms, and then, and then every five seconds having a, what's that mean? What's that mean? What's that mean? So... I'm grateful that I did it. I, I want to pass it on to you. I don't think you're going to regret having done so. But it says to train them up, and then it says to admonish them. And that speaks to verbal instruction to discipleship. It follows training. Willful obedience should require discipline. If 
I could give you another one of those tips, like be careful how, how you show them the first time how to do something. When they do something wrong, as funny as it is, don't laugh at it. Because if you laugh at it, they're going to do it more and more and more because they love to see you laugh. And so just be careful. I know it's hard. I've, it changes the way that I would normally behave. But I, you know, you see something, it, it's hilarious, it's adorable, it's clever in how bad it is. Don't laugh at it because you're rewarding bad behavior and they're going to copy it. Um, and then we've, we've spoken a lot about discipline um, a couple of verses that came to mind on discipline, I'm just going to read through them. Proverbs 19, 18, it says to, do, to discipline your child while there's still hope. You want to discipline them as early uh, as, as, as you can. It will drive out foolishness, Proverbs 22, 15, Proverbs 23, 14, 13, and 14. It says it will deliver their soul from hell. Proverbs 29, 15 says it will give wisdom. It's like discipline them and give them wisdom or they will bring shame to you. I see that all the time. So you bring discipline in your home or they will shame you. Proverbs 29, 17. Discipline them and they will give you rest. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? And there's, there's more than one ways. I, I do believe that it's biblical. Corporal punishment is biblical. But man, may the Lord give you wisdom and grace that there are other ways. I mean, sometimes depending on the personality of your kid, you know, if you're, your child... Uh, timeout might work, uh, you know, removing privileges or, or possessions temporarily or permanently. I remember one conversation where it was a total crazy thing uh, because they couldn't get chocolate milk right now. And um, I, had the, I sat down, I said, listen, that chocolate milk is causing you to sin. And you spoke that way in this home to me and to your mother because of chocolate milk? I am going to have to throw it away. And that did the trick. He, you know, there was an initial, that was pain. <laughs> you know, I, it, no, nothing happened except for me throwing out a tiny little thing of chocolate milk. But, but I, I found what was the issue, and I said, this thing, your behavior has cost you that. And that was all that was necessary. But it caused more pain, I think, than a spanking would have, <laughs> you know. But uh, corporal punishment is, is, is absolutely biblical and definitely necessary. Uh, at times. Um, the responsibility that we have as parents, because sometimes maybe we don't think of it, and I'm, I'm wrapping up just because of time, but responsibility we have of parents and don't always think of it, but you have to prepare them for being an adult. So um, I, I find this is happening more and more. This is a one opportunity I have to talk about it. I don't know if I'm going to get another. You should be the one to teach them about finances. You should be the one to have the sex talk with them. You should be the one to teach them how to drive. That's, that's your responsibility. And you should do it. Don't leave that for someone else to do. Don't leave that for them to figure out on their own. You know? And you think, well, I don't know about finances. Man, you should start learning about finances then because you got to teach them. You should learn how to drive better so that you can teach them, you know, whatever you got to learn so that you can communicate that or teach that to your child because it's your responsibility to teach that. You see how having kids makes you have to grow? It forces you to get ahead of the game. There's a pastor that called G. Campbell Morgan. He was 
very well loved and respected by a lot of pastors turned to his materials for study. When he passed away, his daughter said in the funeral, he was always only one lesson ahead of his, of his congregation. And I thought, that's so refreshing for a pastor, just being like, how did he have so much wisdom? He's just one, one lesson ahead. And as parents, I think we have to, we should be always one lesson ahead. If, if, if we're here and we're saying that you need to turn to the Bible as a standard, if you don't know the scriptures, you need to know the scriptures. You need to learn the scriptures. So get one step ahead, you know? And then it says they're not to provoke them, which means not to rouse wrath, to exasperate, or to embitter. And I th- there's a few ways I, ha- I had written down here in which you can provoke your children to wrath. If you demand of them what they cannot give or do or produce, maybe physically they just can't do it, and you're telling them to do something that they physically can't do, that's going to provoke them to wrath. If you demand of them something that you've never taught them, you know, I'm expecting this to be done. You never taught them to do it. You need to teach them how to do it, and then you can expect it of them. If you give them a hard time for failing to perform expectations that you've never made clear, it's going to provoke them to wrath. If you fail to take into account the differences of personality or natural differences, you know, get to know who your kids are. We talked about this, but it'll provoke them to wrath if they see hypocrisy in your life. A lot of times if you hear, not always, but a lot of times if you hear from your kids, that's not fair. They've noticed something that is hypocritical, you know, and they're trying to correct that. And so just look and see, is there some legitimacy to what they're saying? Is there some hypocrisy in my life that I'm modeling out to them? Maybe in the way that I treat one or the other. Constant harshness. If you're always harsh, always harsh, never positive. It was recently said, but I think it was um, the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. He said, uh, and this is a, a misquote, uh, not a misquote, but a paraphrase. That's what it is. He said, I'm sure that my father loved me, but he seemed to not want me to know it. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it, sometimes we can just be harsh and harsh and harsh and always pointing out the negatives and you need to do this better and you need to do that better and you need to do this better, but we're not affirming the positive things that we see in them and it's important. Jesus always took the time to find something positive to reinforce. Demanding perfection of them is, is gonna provoke them to wrath because they will never be perfect. It is not possible. No one is perfect. So if you demand perfection of your children, you're really going to mess them up. If you are a perfectionist, you don't want to give that to your kids. It's a curse. You know, so you don't want to pass that on. You want that to die with you. <laughs> Being inconsistent in your discipline is going to provoke them to wrath. How come you discipline me over here and you don't discipline me over there? They will learn instinctively how to manipulate that. Um, failing to keep promises that you've made to your kids I, I, I think for many years, I wrongly held over my mom that she told me she was going to take me to the rainforest, and she said it was never going to go away. And then a hurricane came, and it wiped out half the rainforest, and I still remember it. But I, no, I, <laughs> no, I, 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 I've forgiven. And it grew back, praise the Lord. Um, but, um, and I, I had already been several times, and I've been several times since then. Not that that's important to you guys. It was just important to me. I felt like it was a promise. Never but you see how those little things, those little things become long-term things. You know, if you're making promises to your kids, let your yes be yes and your no be no. There are times when circumstances make it impossible, but then you need to sit down and explain to your kids, I, I know that we said this. These are the extenuating circumstances that have taken place. These are the reasons why, and this is when we're going to do it. But don't just kind of 
blow it off and, and do 20 things around the house that you could do any other day just because it's more convenient at that moment. You made a commitment. You know, keep your commitment to your kid if you're able. Favoritism uh, will provoke them to wrath. Um, a lot of the uh, people in the scripture, the patriarchs you saw, uh, suffered from that. Uh, making love and con- affection conditional on their performance uh, will be like, I'll love you if you do this, if you accomplish that. If you, they should have your love even, uh, even if that's uh, something that they're struggling with. Remaining in a state of displeasure for what they've done wrong for too long. And speaking uh, again of like expecting of them something that they're not able to do physically, mentally, or, or emotionally, you know, you shouldn't expect of a four-year-old what a seven, only a 17-year-old can perform. And, but that also works both ways. You shouldn't treat your 17-year-old like a four-year-old, you know, and that speaks to a lot of what Jerry was saying as well. As, as a parent, you're going to find that there's phases, there's stages of life as you grow and as your child grows. And the way that you treat your child should change as they grow. So in the earlier stages, ideally in the earlier stages, you're showing them where the boundaries are. What's right, what's wrong, consequences, discipline. As they get older and they're getting closer to that deadline where they're going to be released off into the world, you got to give them opportunities to make mistakes. And you got to let them make those mistakes and you got to let them learn from those mistakes within the protective environment of the home. Because you're preparing them for an end goal. And sometimes we err on either side. We're not protective enough of our, of our kids. Or, on the other end, we're not preparing them for the reality of life. And we're holding them to ourselves because I love having them here and I don't want them to experience the world. It's not that you should love them less. It's that that's loving yourself. That's not loving them. <laughs> you know? And so if you, if it, you know, so often it, it really, a lot of it boils down to our own personal selfishness. Um, I am not protective of, I, I bring worldliness into my home because I want to delight myself in worldliness. And I don't want to sacrifice that. And then I don't let my kids experience the world because I want them around for me. You know, so we need to love them more and to recognize that it, they're not here for us. We're here for them. And really, we're here for the Lord. So it's really about God, what do you want to do in their life? And, and I'm just going to give and give until there's nothing left in me but Jesus. And I can eventually take that, you know, human and release them. And say, all right, you're going to go start your family and, and, and be, I, you know, talking inspired by the parenting seminar. Uh, my son wakes me up in the morning and just like, one day you're going to be the leader of your home. I'm preparing you to make decisions for yourself. He goes, when I'm the leader of my home and my family, I'm going to ask if I can go to Disney World and say yes. <laughs> it's like, okay, you could do that. That's a choice you can make. But you better have a good job because it's really expensive. So work really hard, and, 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 then, and then you can decide for yourself if that's what you want to spend your money on. It's going to go, yes, all the time. We're always going to go. You could do that. Again, you're going to need a really good job. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you're preparing them for this, for this adulthood. And, and, um, and, and just if I can throw in a, a now, if I can throw in a selfish uh, word, um, Pray for, pray for one another. 
because I don't think that there's anything harder to do in the entire world for a Christian than to raise a godly child in this culture. That might be the hardest thing anyone could ever do. And we're all in this together, right? We're all trying to do this. I am not here because I think I figured it out. I hope that you pray for me and for my kids. I regularly think, Lord, I pray I don't mess them up. Lord, I pray. I'm just doing, I think this is what the Bible says to do here. Lord, please help me not to mess them up. You know, I like telling stories because they're funny. But, but it doesn't come from any sense of like f- feeling like I figured it out. So I hope you pray for the pastors that are up here and their kids. And, and know that we're praying for you and your kids. And if there's ever kind of counseling that goes out to you guys as parents, it's because we love you. Because we're concerned about, about, about uh, your kids or we love your kids. And the tools that God has given us for these things are the word of God, prayer, and the love of God. And so these are things that we'll turn to. And, and if you ever, you know, are in a position where you uh, need help, you have questions, you know, the pastors are here to serve. You've seen some of them that have been teaching here. You know, you've got Adrian and Joey and, 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 and Pastor Raz and George Lee and Casas and you, you might get a different uh, flavor uh, counsel from, from uh, different ones, but praise the Lord for that. Um, I, I just want to encourage you to be uh, seeking the Lord for that and make sure that you're the ones, that you're the ones to determine the legacy of your home. Um, is the last thing I'll say, and it's, I, I love the kings. I love to look at the kings in the Bible because I learn a lot from them. And one of the things that I really love from the kings in Scripture is that you'll see a horrible king, and then you'll see their kid, and I'll think, man, that, that's going to be a bad king. And, that, and that, 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 that their son, they say, you know what? We're going to worship the Lord. I'm going to throw out the legacy of that, that horrible father that I had, all the terrible things that they were doing. And, and then you'll see the, the opposite as well. You'll see an incredibly godly king and their kids just being like, I don't know why we're worshiping the Lord. Let's shut the doors and bring in the idols. We're going to go crazy. And so as, as parents, we got to decide what our legacy is going to be. Are we going to, did we have a good foundation and are we going to build on that? Or are we going to throw out every good thing that we received and try to build on something untested or the, the converse of that? If you're here and you feel like a horrible foundation was laid in your life, you're, you're, you're like, were raised and your, your parents were, you know, for lack of a better word, terrible. A terrible example. Um, all kinds of challenges and difficulties. You don't have to repeat that. That can end and it ought to and should end with you. By God's grace and mercy, he can transform any life. And if you give him where you're at now and your home where it's at now, those patterns don't have to be repeated anymore. God promises it. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for bringing us here, and I, I pray that you would uh, help us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, Lord. Um, I thank you, God, for your word, and I thank you for your truth, and I thank you that Lord, we have time to, to eat and fellowship together, Lord. I pray that you'd bless, uh, bless us as we spend time with each other, and um, help us, Lord, to be uh, open and honest before you, Lord. Um, God, I pray that you would, you would bless this time of fellowship as well and that you'd create uh, just uh, edifying friendships, Lord, here 
uh, amongst the other parents. I know we, we don't often have a lot of time for this, God. And so I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So